It's Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. In an early morning tweet, Donald Trump threatened to withhold funding from any state that doesn't open schools in the fall. Thankfully, he didn't threaten to withhold his leadership because, well, look how great we're doing with that. Today, the United States passed 3 million coronavirus cases, which is a quarter of all the cases in the world. Hey, Donald, you sure you want kids in school so they can learn this math? Yesterday, ICE officials announced that international students will lose their visas if their classes are completely online in the fall. After all, it's un-American to keep kids in the country who are being safe. Tulsa's executive director of health said today that this city has seen a surge in new coronavirus cases in the last two days, which comes less than three weeks after Donald Trump held his rally there. I guess this proves that something showed up at the rally, just not his supporters. In a rambling interview with Forbes magazine, Kanye West said that for his presidential run, he's forming a new political party called the Birthday Party because, in his words, when I win, it's everybody's birthday. I say it's more like a conception day because if Ye becomes president, we're all fucked. Also during the interview, Kanye said he would model his White House on the Marvel superhero Black Panther and his homeland, Wakanda. That might sound crazy, but let's face it, Wakanda is about as real as that wall Mexico was gonna pay for. Movie theater chains in New Jersey are suing the state for keeping them shut while allowing churches to reopen. Makes sense. Both tell fantastical stories to an audience that probably didn't read the books they're based on. In an interview with Bustle, Demi Lovato revealed that she chose to leave Disney Channel in 2010 after realizing that eating disorders in the entertainment industry were, quote, terrifyingly normalized. Based on her career, the song about this should be out any day now. After coming under extreme criticism for her comments about trans individuals, J.K. Rowling has written an open letter denouncing cancel culture, which was published in Harper's Magazine. Unlike her, her Harry Potter characters, J.K. can't make this controversy magically disappear. Johnny Depp claims that he decided to divorce Amber Heard after the actress allegedly pooped in the couple's bed. You, you would have thought that this would have been refreshing for Johnny since it's usually his film career that shits the bed. Now, let's kick it over to tonight's TMI Daily cast and crew roundtable. Stay safe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Ayello, and as always, I'm joined by some of our family members from the TMI Hollywood family. Um, let's go around and say hello to everybody watching at home or listening to our TMI Daily Podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe. Let's start with you, Shana. Hello, all our new fans on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Welcome, welcome. Elizabeth. Take a bite out of that apple and subscribe. <laughs> Joe. All our Apple podcast friends, um, avocado toast, electric car, vegan dog walk. Chris. Hello, all the new people out there. You can follow me at MacD Combs on Instagram and Twitter. Jocelyn. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Glamour Ghoul Beauty School on Instagram. I'm Leah. Hey, everyone. I'm at Leah Teaches on Instagram. Meg. Hi guys. JP. Hey, how's it going? Windows is superior to Mac. <laughs> Emma. Hey y'all, I'm Emma S. Lieberman on Cash App. Okay. <laughs> now Edward, he's not part of the TMI Hollywood family, but he's gonna be joining us today. Eddie, say hi to everybody watching and listening. Hi everyone, I'm Eddie and I'm a just average school teacher. <laughs> um, Laura. Hi, everybody. Uh, I am a part of the TMI family, but today I am actually talking more about being a drama teacher. Okay. David? Hey, what's up, guys? Just want to say hi. I I'm happy I'm back. <laughs> and Jess? Your shameless self-promoting, original self-promoting trendsetter at the Jess Ellis for Fresh Perspectives and Memes on Twitter or Instagram. You know, go for it. <laughs> 
Okay. So for some reason, Donald Trump decided earlier this week that his newest controversy should involve kids going back to school next month. This comes as the U.S. saw its highest number of cases get topped two days in a row with over 60,000 new cases yesterday and no end in sight. We thought that today we could take a closer look at this issue and discuss why Trump thinks this is a winning argument for him and what the ramifications of kids going back next month is going to be on the kids as well as the people hired to teach them. To help us out, like I mentioned earlier, we have Edward Ramirez, who is an adapted physical education teacher, Laura Zanoni, a current summer camp teacher, and Leah Zhang, who is a drama teacher at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. Also, as Laura and Leah said, they're also TMI cast members. So before we go get into detail, um, can each one of you tell me a little bit about exactly what you do? So Eddie, I wanna start with you. Can you talk a little bit about your job and, and what you do? Yeah, so I'm an itinerant adapted physical education teacher. That What that means is I bounce around from school to schools. Um, I have about six schools on my caseload and I go around the six of them servicing students with special needs and providing adapted physical education services for them. So all the students I work with have some kind of, you know, as they refer to it in, pop, in current culture, it's a disability. Um, so they have that and I bounce around from school to school on certain days of the week. I can go anywhere from two to three schools in a day. Mm -hmm. What's your age range? Uh, preschool to eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Leah. Yeah, so I teach um, movement specifically at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. And I've been there for the past seven years. The students I usually teach um, are in the college age range to adult. And actually recently, the Strasberg Institute got an accreditation so that you can go there and get an associate's degree. So we have a handful of students who are going um, kind of like it's their regular college environment. And I've been teaching those guys as well. Okay, and Laura. Uh, I am a current summer, uh, summer drama school teacher. Um, and I have been working with this company in schools. I've done about five schools a week for the past four years. Um, we had to shut down in the middle of our spring session which really was a huge bummer. Um, and then we've been working really hard following CDC guidelines to actually open up a summer school for the past week. Okay, what age group do you work with about? I work with uh, kinder through second grade. Okay, great. Okay, so according to leaks from inside the Trump administration, the president is hoping to turn around his abysmal poll numbers and the only way he sees it happening is by the economy strengthening. According to an insider, he desperately wants to kickstart the economy and needs people, excuse me, and needs people to feel as though they are returning to normal and getting kids back to school is, he believes, one of the best ways to do just that. Would kids going back to school right now be anything close to normal? What do you guys think? I, I don't think so. This is Leah. Um, I know that like the administrators have been talking to me about what they're planning for the fall because we have a summer semester, so we're teaching that online. But for the fall semester, they have plans of like possibly doing one week on campus and then one week online. They've also suggested things like um, holding the classes outside in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's requirements of masks and face shields. Uh, so for me, I don't think it looks anything like what it did before. Okay, and I just wanna clarify something really quick. Um, when I ask these questions related to the schools, I wanna go to you guys first and then everybody else can, can jump on. So I could just make sure that I hear from you guys as well. Um, Eddie, uh, Laura, do you wanna add anything to that? No, I definitely agree. You know, it's not going to be uh, normal, you know, in the sense of anything. Um, you know, I kind of will caveat to that, too. You know, um, school districts, I mean, are already low funded to the extent of, you know, we're missing basic things like books and equipment that us teachers usually provide. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I spent a big chunk of my paycheck on buying equipment for my kids. So um, now you mean to tell me the district's magically going to provide hand soap, hand sanitizer, masks for everybody um i don't think it's going to be possible you know so you know i'm actually in a group chat with a couple teachers and they asked about you know the possibility of us going back and i said it was probably 0.0001 percent mm -hmm. okay 
Laura? Yeah, uh, to add on to that, especially I'm physically in the classroom right now, it already looks different. Um, we don't have classroom sizes more than 13. We actually tried to minimize it to 12, but had to up a class to 13 because we're trying to keep siblings in the same class to minimize exposure. Um, you're already reminding kids to constantly wear their masks. And I'm working with, uh, you know, kids that at least have a little bit of money to spend on classes. So, you know, I'm not working with kids that are underprivileged or underserved schools. So I can't even imagine what it would be like if they can't afford a mask, how will we get one for them? Uh, and even just getting the things that you, we needed to actually run this camp was extremely hard. My CEO actually talked about how she and her husband would have to wake up early and stake out several stores over the past weeks just to get Clorox wipes so that we would be able to keep it clean enough to make sure that we could keep our half classroom size sanitized. So I could not imagine how they would expect a class of 30 to go back. It's just not going to happen. Anybody else now? I mean, I mean, l listen, we already know that the school, that the school system is, is underfunded as it is. And then like the guy says, you know, are the teachers going to have to provide their own PPE? Are they going to have to uh, make things safe? Now let's also talk about how classroom size is huge. If we look at the LA school district, it's big. Now you're going to have to double that because you're going to have to make it half the size so we can social distance the kids. And then on top of that, you're going to have to regularly test the teachers. I mean, you're going to have to test them at least once a week or at least once every other week. And then if you do have a teacher that comes, goes under and they're going to be out for two weeks, now you need a whole new range of substitutes way beyond what the system already has and is already taxed. Uh, I just can't see how it's going to happen. I mean, I, I don't think that the budget is there. They could double the budget and they probably wouldn't be able to pull it off. Well, and they you're not going to be able to go ahead, Elizabeth. Oh, I was going to say, and they, but they won't spend that money on education. They've proven time and again that they don't want to spend that money. You know, that's how we have cops with tanks and teachers buying their own equipment. Yeah. And doubling the budget's not going to help. And where are you going to get that money anyways? Everybody's out cops. of work. Everybody's paying. Right. Oh, you could get some of that from cops, but I mean, the majority of school funding comes from uh, property owners. And as density in a city like Los Angeles increases, the amount who actually own property and pay those taxes decreases proportion to the children going to the school. So it's a race condition towards the bottom. And like, that's untenable right there. But second of all, uh, does anybody know what they're doing like in the Eastern European countries and in the uh, Scandinavian countries? I think part of the reason- They're it, sending all their kids back to school. But it's apples and oranges there because they've gotten their no, numbers under control. No. And we have not. You'd, you'd think that. You'd think that they, they like did the sensible thing and got it under control and then sent their kids back. But most of the Scandinavian countries are working at herd immunity, which is what we're going to have to do because everybody's going to get this disease. I don't understand. It doesn't matter how many Clorox wipes you put in those classrooms. Kids are disease magnets. They're going to get it. The best bet would be to just keep the kids who are at risk, like however we can try to identify that, and then just let them go and identify the teachers and staff that are at risk and you know, uh, quarantine them and try to get back to normal and build a hum herd immunity. If the human race as a whole is going to survive a pandemic, that's the only bet. Well, actually, there's two bets. There's herd immunity and then there's a vaccine. And the vaccine's not coming anytime soon. I don't actually fully agree with that because as someone who has to be back in a classroom teaching and is an at-risk individual with asthma, you know, a lot of times there isn't a choice. My mother has two autoimmune disorders and she's been teaching for 40 years. What's she going to do? Retire? So, like she, she needs so to go back is, to school. Your idea is because you might be at risk. Like make, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in after that. Just yeah. To go Oh, I was just going to say, because maybe a teacher is at risk, then we need to deprive tons of kids who may not be at risk. Couldn't we switch to like, maybe put you online and then you could help and watch or teach the kids who are at risk online. You know what I mean? There's got to be creative solutions for it without disrupting the society. And nobody's even taking into account the negative effects being home is going to have on kids or has already had on kids. Like even Dr. Fauci has come out and said, yeah, we need to get kids back in school. And well, but this is the a, expert. 
sorry, Eddie, I'm going to let you go after this. No, you know, this, I don't think you're understanding how, of a, how much of a complex conversation this is within superintendents and districts. They are talking about that. They are talking about the fact that social distance learning, even though it was what was necessary at the time because it was a band-aid for a bullet wound, that that's not something that's going to be helpful. But at the same time, sending an entire classroom of 30 students back, which is what the administration is talking about, isn't going to help either. And it's not a either or discussion. You are talking about creative solutions and we need to find those creative solutions to serve the whole and not just the kids that are privileged enough to have immune systems. Eddie. I mean, and you also got to think too of the factor, you know, it's like, we don't, I mean, I'd expose a lot of my kids too, you know, not saying I'm not a healthy individual. I'm young, I'm fit, you know, I'm only 27 years old. I work out every day. Um, but you also got to think like, I'm also putting my own kids at risk. I work with kids with special needs. So that means they have underlying health conditions. Some of them could be battling cancer. Some of them could have asthma. Some of them could have some yeah, kind that's of what I was saying. Valleys, find a bifida. Quarantine um, those kids. Well, those Get them out of harm's siblings too. So if their siblings go back to school and then they contract it at oh. school, then we're kind of just burning a totem pole. You know, it's like I got some students who they go to three different schools, you know, one sibling goes to one school, the other one goes to middle school, and the other one goes to some preschool. So now you got a triple whammy, three schools are going to need to shut down for at least 14 days. So let's just keep everything shut down until the virus goes away. It's never going away. It's the cats out of the bag. We've unleashed the beast. It's it's out yeah, there. It's going to be there. there. I'm not, I'm even not if they are forever. going back to school, what the, the school that they're talking about them going back to is very limiting at best for the kids anyway. You know, yeah. I mean, they're not going to move. They're not going to leave the room. I mean, they can't have recess. They can't have lunch in the cafeteria. They can't do any of the activities, which would be the reason other than being in the classroom. That oh, yeah. would be and the reason to go back day. to school other than sitting in the room with other people. Yeah. I mean, I that's agree basically with that. what they would be allowed to do from what I understand and read is they would just be in a room with other students learning and stay at the desk and be at the desk all day and then leave. However long the day is, whether the day is four or five hours and it's on a shift because I've heard that they've talked about that. I've also heard that they're doing different color days where you come every other day some some are talking about depending on where you are in the country some places are talking about a trimester system with kids and shifting it that way i mean it depends what you were saying laura i agree with you it not only depends where you are school district locally it also depends regionally country-wise where you are how they're approaching this problem and how they're looking at it because every every region is doing something different and they're all looking to each other for help because the thing is is that no one has an answer i mean and everybody knows that the kids need to go back they need to be around other kids they need to do that and we need to create social bubbles everybody gets that that's not the question it's just like it are the teachers because it because there are people with no pre-existing this is why i've heard immunity fears i'm afraid of it just because there are people with no pre-existing uh, um, conditions that have died from this virus and died tragically and horribly and i i and i know that 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 may be a rarity but it is enough to for me to be like, as, as somebody who teaches classes too, why would I want to go in a room and take a risk with my life on the off chance that I could be that person? That's the now, way life works. I get, I get your point that you're saying, you know, but it could happen, but it's like, why do teachers have to be the ones that gamble? Or you don't, it's it a voluntary profession. Like we all gamble every day when we make choices yeah, like but when, yesterday. But, also, but when you, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, I was just off the jumping off the point of herd immunity and some of the studies that I've been finding coming out from the CDC and the World Health Organization is that they're discovering that a lot of the mild cases that people are surviving aren't building up enough T cells to actually consider it immunity. So you're talking about a massive, you're, you're not just talking about the massive loss of life, which doesn't build up herd immunity because they're not in the population anymore, but you're talking about people who have a chronic condition afterwards. Those are the people who have built up enough immunity, who have built up those T cells, are the ones having severe chronic conditions and even uh, neuro neurolog neurological symptoms that are starting to be found as long-term studies for this new coronavirus is the being launched. Well, there's no real long-term studies because we're six months into this, so we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't well, know what the long-term effects is. Six months is as long-term as you can right. for a for a new virus. 
Right, but if you're wanting to say something, can I hear from you, David? Who? Oh yeah, I, I was just I was just saying that like I I heard you yesterday talk about last night talk about it, and the, and like today talking about it, but it's. It's a, it's a little bit more complex. Um, I used to work after school programs all the time. My fiance's mother is like the head of uh, the music department here at the San Diego uh, School District and they're just scrambling. And it, it is not just about the kids, it's about the parents because are the parents even uh, even want them to go back to school? And then we have to talk about education uh, system at the, at, at the same time. But I'm just saying that like, there's, a, there's so many variables that, that we're still trying to put a Band-Aid in a bullet wound. And there's no easy uh, decision, and I understand that. But what we need to do is that we need to listen to these educators who have, who've been in these classrooms day after day, understand these kids, because what we're what we're saying is that like, oh, let's let's do it this way, but we're not listening to to the people who are there every single day, and we're not listening to uh, to their concerns. Period. Uh, we're, we're just going to be like, oh, they have to go back to school. You have to figure it out. That's been this whole entire time. Since, since uh, uh, quarantine, you got to figure it out. You got to do it, and we're not we're not listening to the teachers about what uh, what else assistance that, that they need. All, all we're saying is that they just need to go back to school, and what whatever happens happens. And I we need we really need to listen to the educators to to each district because like it's not even just uh, you know K through twelve colleges are still scrambling at the same time about trying to figure out uh, how how to restart because that's where I work at. And a lot, a lot of professors aren't coming back. They're like, I don't care. I'm not coming back. I don't feel safe. And so like, it's, it, it's, it's a bad thing to be like, oh, you have to go, but you're not listening to the people who teach your kids. Well, the which, government, the which people? The not going to listen to the people who's teaching the kids. And I'll tell yeah. you why. Because the government wants the kids to go back to school so that the parents don't have a reason to stay home to take an eye on their kids. When their kids go to school, then they can go to work. And we're talking about households where both, where both parents have to go work. And that's the situation because that's what the government's thinking about. So they're not going to listen to the teachers. They want to get the kids back into school so they can get people back out in the workforce and not be at home. And, and then they don't have to take care of them that way. And that's the reason, that's the main reason why it's going on. So I really don't think the government's going to be listening to the teachers. They're just going to be shoving the kids into the classroom and, and, and hoping that that helps to jumpstart the economy. Well, it sounds like also that, I mean, not that I, I have a solution, but it seems like the most logical choice is choice. It's going to be up to the teachers if they want to go and teach in these classrooms, and it's going to be up to the kids to attend. So the best thing I would say is just you mean open parents, and parents. It, it, parents. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> it will always be parents because parents, parents. Yeah. parents sure. are going to pull them out. As, uh, I'm telling you, like oh, the thing course, is that like two. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but two things that we haven't really thought about is that like the complaint, like parents complain horribly. Like that's a big thing that like no one is like considering here is that like parents no, are going that's to that's, that's the yeah. choice factor in it like i'm not saying that they have like this it shouldn't be a uh they have to go back to schools i think that is the wrong way of approaching it that's this just seems you know you're not giving people a, a choice but i think what it should be is a choice do the teachers want to go back into the classroom yes and if they don't then they bring somebody who is willing and then it's the same thing with, with the students and their parents. Are you willing to send your kid to school? No. Then have options for those people. So if there is an option to teach online, then let them teach online. If there's people that want to go to class, open up the schools and let them go to class. Because the whole thing is a risk anyway, no matter if you, you know, open it or not. So the, I think the, the best answer to the scenario is to give people the choice. But this whole thing with Trump saying that like he's going to take away federal funding from these schools, you know, that decide not to open, that's insane like that's just you you can't go you can't push that on people that way that that's that's some dictatorship and we shouldn't be having it so it's you be, shouldn't punish people for wanting to make that exactly it yeah should like survival should be a, a punishment sorry you know i, I want to go over the cdc guidelines um that they're that they're giving for schools to reopen and then we can you know talk about this afterwards okay so here are some of the suggestions number one kids older than two years have to wear a face mask for their entire school day all students should be taught about proper hygiene, including hand washing and sharing objects among students. Desks need to be six feet apart and all face the same direction. If they cannot be six feet apart, a partition between each desk should be in place. Kids should either bring their food or have individual plated food served to them in the classroom, not in the cafeteria. 
Children should not be allowed out of their classroom for recess or any other group gatherings. All extracurricular school activities should either be canceled or brought online virtually. No non-essential people should enter school campus, including parents. Possible school start, uh, school start and end times should be staggered in order to have the least possible people entering and exiting at the same time. So my question to you guys is, do you think that this is, this, these guidelines are gonna be feasible? Now I have to say something since I was a classroom teacher for 16 years in elementary school, taught kindergarten through fifth grade. I see so many issues with this. Clearly, if you actually think that kids are gonna keep a mask on, that they're not, they're gonna social distance, and to keep our desks apart where we could barely fit 36 desks in one classroom. I mean, clearly whoever came up with this has never been in a classroom, ever. Veronica, I'm just wondering about how they're gonna do a traffic flow pattern in a school where everybody has to move in the same direction. It's not, not realistic, I'm sorry to say that. I, mean, I was reading this when I was putting, you know, I was putting this together and I'm looking at this and I'm just saying, I mean, it's just no, there's no way, you know, I had students that had severe peanut allergies, for example, and I used to watch them like, like a hawk because I had to, you can't share food, you know, what did you eat? Did you, I mean, teachers have so much work that on top of that, they're going to have this added, you know, pressure. And I've actually have spoken to some of my teacher friends and two of them are actually considering not going back to teaching, you know, just adding their resignation. But at the same time, you know what, guys, like I just, the way that I feel about this, and like I said, I have a lot of opinions because I was in this field for so long. I agree with Jess and with Laura, you know, I see a lot of Jess's points is very valid. I see a lot, and I don't think there's, there is a real solution to this. I really don't, you know? So let's hear what you guys have to say. I've actually been as, as, cause I've been, I have been doing these CDC guidelines in our summer camp setting. And I have been surprised at, how they're not a total failure. It's not that they're not, they're not perfect. Um, and you definitely, you cannot do 36 kids. You cannot do a full class. But if you cut the class sizes down to about 12, which is also what the CDC was recommending for a while, I don't know that they're doing it anymore. Um, they were recommending a 12 to one, um, 12 students to every one teacher. That has been working out okay. And I definitely, because I have kids on the younger side, uh, you know, you have to come up with creative rules about how to make sure they keep their masks on. Like we'll go mask check and I'll go like this and wait until they all have their masks, their hand over their nose to make sure their mask is all the way up there and their hands in the air. Um, and then that's how I get away to make sure that they're all have their masks on because uh, it slips down and they just forget. Um, it, but it, it is really hard. And, you know, it's definitely like, you know, I've seen the pros of it being that they're learning a lot better and their emotional rapport with each other is a lot better but you know one kid spikes a fever in the middle of the afternoon and you have a huge situation on your hands well and another issue too is you know parents sending kids to school sick mm -hmm. that would happen all the time you know teachers we would run out of our sick days because if one you know student was sick you know everybody would get sick or i would get sick you know, so that's, that was another issue. The parents would send us, you know, the kids would have a fever, send them to the health room. I'd go in there at lunchtime after lunch and the kid would still be there. Now I'm not saying, you know, oh, the parents don't love their child. They just sent their kid, uh, but you know, maybe they have to go to work. They don't have it. They didn't have grandma, grandpa, to, you know, to take care of them or, or a babysitter. So that's also a huge it's problem that you, see, that you see as teachers. And I want to read one comment from one of our online viewers, um, Alicia Gonzalez. She says, I work at a daycare and picking up kids at school is a war zone. You have no idea how true that is. You know, we tried to implement at my school um, a pickup system where parents could not get out of their cars because we were having a problem with having parents on campus all the time. And even then, it's still, it, it, it was a war zone. So I know exactly what she's talking about. You know, even getting parents to follow directions was, was a challenge for teachers. So like I said, there's just so many elements to this that I don't, I don't think I even have like, you know, an answer. There is no answer for this. You know, I, all of you guys bring up some really good points, but this is a tough one. And I just, I feel really strongly about this because like I said, I've seen the worst uh, in the, in this, these situations, see me. but I've also seen, you know, that, you know, I have friends that are, that work in private schools where they have to buy their own cleaning supplies too. 
that was another concern that one of my friends had, you know, she didn't want to come on here, but we were talking about it. And she says, you know, we don't have the funding at, at, at a Catholic school so, so they can come in and do deep cleaning. So then she's going to have to be the one doing deep cleaning every single day after school with their own supplies, because the parents would also have to provide Lysol. And that was part of our school supply list. So again, I just wanted to, to put that out there. Um, That's like a drunk with holy water. <laughs> yeah. That's a good and, point about sending your kids to the school with flu. Like the list you just read, uh, the CDC guidelines might as well be titled how to torture children because it's antithetical to everything that a child wants to do. Like, yeah, well, I think more also- kids, like 10 times the amount of kids die from the flu every year from these irresponsible parents sending their kids to school without any of these guidelines, then will die from coronavirus per year. Yeah, but so most why, of them why are, are we going freaking to be out? Permanently hobbled by the We don't flu. know if they're permanent. Stop with this like speculation. We don't know if they're going to be permanently hobbled. There's no evidence to, sh- to support that children are going to be. Permanently There's a lot hobbled. of evidence. But that doesn't, but that doesn't scare that. you. That doesn't <laughs> scare you that you don't know. No, no. But on, but honestly, like anti-vaxxers no, scare me, and no, they but, send no, their kids to school, and the no, kid but, might wind up with polio and be hobbled. Yeah, but, I don't know. But a hundred years ago, when this was happening. You know what I'm saying? Like people I were scared. There. I wasn't around then. Not, neither well, was I. And there's book. a lot of people that weren't there either. But what? I, but but my point is, is that like that, that should scare you even more because we don't know what the long term, you know, uh, things are. The we kids are going to no get idea. this anyways. Whether the parents go back to work and give it to their kids, or the kids get it at school, they're going to get it. That's it. That's that's the long and short of this whole mess. So we shouldn't do anything. That's so, a, that, that's the answer. We shouldn't do anything. No, you should take a nuanced approach. But we're I am. Since I, we're, this is, since we're painting with broad brushes because we have condensed time, there's overall mm-hmm. strategies that I'm trying to highlight. And one is if, why, why don't we take the same precautions with the flu since it's far more deadly? Like being, I'd rather be hobbled than dead, right? Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't you rather your kid uh, have limited lung function than die? Like, sure. So why don't we take these same precautions? But we don't. And one of the things is people like, with the helicopter parent generation, we've raised a generation of kids who have all sorts of allergies that aren't natural, like the peanut allergy. All sorts of studies worldwide have shown that most other countries, the kids don't have peanut allergies. It's because we're psychopaths here with our children. Yes, let me ask you this. Would your, would your, would your position be different if you had kids or you'll never, or you would still feel the same way? Um, to be honest, like I think I think the children are our future. And honestly, that's the only way like that we're going to survive something like a pandemic in the long run is the kids will build that herd immunity. They'll be the future. They won't have this to worry about in the long run. That's realistically that probably what's going to happen unless there's a miracle vaccine. If I had kids, I probably would feel a little bit different about it, but uh, I would also feel different because I would never send my kids to a public school ever. Just not happen. I would do homeschool or send them to a private school where I'd have much more say in what happens. And just like Chris said, and what I said originally, which was, it's all about choice. Like you don't have to send your kid. You don't have to teach there. I want to just touch on your comment, like irresponsible parents sending their kids to school with the flu. Not every parent is irresponsible in that sense. Sometimes it is a matter of fact that they have no child. No, I just want to address your comment that both, sometimes both parents work. Sometimes there's no health insurance. There's no childcare options and that happens to a lot a lot of people especially in lower income schools and so i don't i i think it's a slightly unfair okay uh, then the responsible comment. parents that have no other options to send their kids to school that inadvertently get other kids killed from the flu is that yeah. better since it's accurate well yeah, i think yeah. you're completely yeah the issue's not just the kids getting sick and then you know the other yeah. kids getting sick it's getting the teachers sick and yeah that's an issue too and not having enough substitute teachers too you know, because yeah. I know with private schools, we didn't have substitute teachers where I used to teach. You know, it was either like, you know, a parent that was, you know, a, a substitute teacher at another school would come in and sub or whatever. But then what happens, you know, again, I'd like to hear somebody else's like I'm painting with broad strokes of a plan. At least I've got one. I'd like to hear what other people's plan. What is, is your plan? I mean, Sending them back to school? Yeah. I set the plan out from the very beginning, which was send the kids back to school. Uh, quarantine at-risk teachers and students and possibly put them in their own online classes. That was my broad strokes. I'd like to hear you guys' broad strokes. 
Anybody? Haven't, haven't schools been doing the online thing for about a month now? Why not keep on doing that? I'm like, what's I've, wrong with doing it staying since online? And we're having a very successful run at summer school right now. You're having success with that, Eddie? Because I was yes, I was teaching, I was uh, a live-in nanny during the last three months of school. And like, we had a lot of virtual dropouts um, over at CDC uh, and had a lot of issues with online learning. Yeah, you know what? I just taught about three successful classes of WP via Zoom, which I never thought um, would be a success. Cause it's like, you know, something like PE, you gotta, you gotta be in front, you gotta have equipment, especially with my kids. Yeah. You gotta be hand over hand sometimes if they're that severe. Um, so um, I was actually like pumped for myself. Cause it's like, you know, we've been doing this since March and I felt finally I was growing some wings, you know, um, getting some flight under me and the teacher that I've been for three years. And I just got nominated as teacher of the year this past year. Um, was going a little bit more so yeah we've also been I've also been teaching since March since everything's been shut down I've been teaching online and we've had um I've had two online movement classes which again I also thought like okay how are we going to teach movement online on zoom but it it's been working out pretty well so Congrats to you guys. That's pretty hard. You know, it's literally learning a new, new, new set. And I know that Laura said that she was having a hard time with that, but you guys are real MVPs, uh, you, you know, trying to figure out that stuff during those months. Maybe if it stays that way, I don't know. Cause I don't know what the answer is either. I guess my short reply to Jess was like, maybe just stick to that until the vaccine shows up. But I don't know if that'd yeah. be too much to ask. I mean, the um, is that, um, you know, schools, sorry, Emma, I'll be short and then you can go. Um, I schools, public schools in this country have been overcrowded for years and there's no funding. I mean, I went to I, when I was in junior high in the 90s, we had like 10 trailers outside because we couldn't fit all the students in the school. I mean, this is something that like to me right there, that's how this plan, those guidelines is not are not feasible. Because how are you going to do a classroom? Okay, we're going to go from 35 to 13. You're going to have to hire extra teachers and nobody wants to go teach right now. So I just, I, I think stick with the online. Yeah, I think that being online is as of right now, the only solution that's even feasible that we have. Uh, because so long as we're painting in broad strokes, school is not just about education. School is the intersection of several things. It's education, but it's also childcare uh, and it's socialization for children. As, like if you look at the CDC guidelines, you don't really get socialization because you're at your desk. You don't just get to talk to kids in other classes. You don't really get to interact during hall time or whatever. You don't get recess. Uh, and I guess I get still childcare, which means that the grownups can go back to work and earn money for the economy. But like, and then a lot of them are going to get sick and then we'll kind of go back down again. Um, so I don't think that's really going to help with the, like it's technically childcare for the short term, but that's not sustainable. Um, and then in terms of education, like it's not perfect online. There are definitely some flaws that need to be worked out, but ultimately there was a solution for all of this. It would have been universal mask wearing and we as a society decided not to do that. So since we're not doing that, like we don't have a choice. We have to stick with online. Other countries are not having the same problem. They are being able to ease their kids back into school because the, the infection rates just aren't as high because it's more of a cultural collectivism thing. Um, I think that herd immunity in the countries that have been trying it out is turning out to be disastrous. Uh, and I don't think that lives are an acceptable price to pay for everyone else maybe living. Which which country is disas disastrous that they're trying it the out? The Scandinavian countries you were talking about yeah. at the beginning oh, were disastrous? trying herd immunity. Well, you know what, yeah. guys, though, too, with, with the whole distant learning, you know, one of the things that people have to understand is that kids have very different styles of learning. So mm -hmm. distant learning does not work for a lot of children either. And that's also an issue with that too. So that's what I'm trying to say is that, I mean, I guess there, there really is no, you know, right way of doing this, you know, it's, it's definitely going to have, we're going to have to have more conversations about this, but I do want to bring one more question up for you guys, to you guys. Um, I know it's hard to predict what the entire country is going to do, but do you get the sense that California is in fact going to open up schools in four weeks from now? And, if, and as it is planning to do so as of now, and actually I'm going to throw one last question out too. If you had a crystal ball, what do you think we're gonna be talking about in September if schools do open in time? I think we're gonna, well, one, I, well, I, here's the thing. Uh, I have a feeling that there, I don't know if, you know, statewide we're gonna be opening everything, but I do think a lot of schools are gonna, are gonna be, be open. Uh, and then probably in September, we're 
it's going to be the Christ. If the, if that does indeed happen, then we're going to be having discussion of, you know, what kids are at risk. You know, if kids are getting sick, how, what the rate is of that, and if schools should be shutting down again. I mean, that's it's 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 uh, it's going to be a consistent conversation that we're going to be having until there's some sort of a vaccine or something like that, because people are just going to, like Jess said, like people are just going to continue to get sick and, you know, you can keep social distancing and things of that nature. Yes. But, you know, ultimately if we're trying to go back to normal or have like some semblance of going back to that, every step that we take, no matter what precautions you put on it, somebody's going to get sick, period. You can put all the rules, you can put all these things in place. You can have a million shields up. You can make everybody wear PPE, make it a, a, a federal law for that matter. But at the end of the day, when you get people together and they get around each other, that's just more risk for people to get sick. So that's that's what we're going to be talking about September is people still getting sick. And, and it sucks. And I'm not trying to say it like in a way that doesn't seem like I'm connected to it. But that's that's what we're dealing with is it's, this is an infectious, you know, sickness so people are just going to keep getting infected no matter what i want to see how many teachers are actually going to show up to that first day of school that's what i want to see because i know and that's that's, that's going to be the hard part is getting you know that's, people who's really going to show up on the first day of school because i know a lot of them that are terrified especially if right. their parents themselves too because they yeah. have children themselves absolutely so the i mean it's a huge, september we'll be yeah. talking about this a, if they do open up mm -hmm. yeah it's a huge risk it's a, it's a huge risk for teachers and also teachers who are parents yeah. like it's fucking scary, but at the end of the day, that's it's like I said, people are just gonna continue to get sick, and there's really nothing that we can do. Like all I think we can do is like curve the numbers, but we're not gonna stop it. That's the thing. It's not. It's not gonna stop. That's and that's the hard problem that people are. I don't think are are are, are realizing. And and it, as scary as it is, like we kind of gotta fight through that that part of of realization to get to you know, deeper solutions and, and, and better uh, response to these kind of things because we just weren't equipped to handle this and we see how it's playing out. Okay. Laura. Yeah, I, um, to my knowledge, I don't, I know a lot of school districts and I don't think any of them have on the discussion plan not going back. So they're definitely going, I, we're definitely going back to school. Um, I think in September, there's going to be talks about, um, I don't know any school that's talking about going back full capacity. Most of them are talking about going back half capacity and switching off weeks and stuff like that. So September is going to be a lot of talks about how that switching back and forth is working, how it's affecting parents, um, and exactly what that is like. And then obviously, the protocols of what happens when one kid comes to school sick and exactly how you deal with quarantining that one kid. Cause we're not, we're not gonna not go back. We have to go back. Um, but there has to be a lot of protocols put in place for what happens when that one teacher, that one classroom is infected and how it puts the rest of the school community at risk. Okay, one final comment, Shana, finish it off. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, we need to, we also need as a society, all of us to start wrapping our brain around Quar world and everything else was pre-Quar because it's like once quarantine and all of that happened, everything's new. It is different and we don't know. So it's like everything is a trial. Everything's the first time. Everything, we have to get into that beginner mind as a society um, to really move forward across the board. And we need to stop thinking, well, back to normal, because it's not going to be that based on what science is saying right now, it's not going to be that for a while. So we need to figure it out, but from a beginner standpoint. So I'm with you in, in, in some ways, Chris and Jess, I'm with you in that mindset where we do need a beginner mind. But I'm also like, you know, I... I mean, some counties are saying 12 feet. Some counties are saying six. It depends. Like I said, it's regional. It depends on where you are, what kind of protection as a teacher or as a student you're going to have. And that's that's the variance that's dangerous for everyone. Yeah, and I, and I have to say really quick before we move on, um, the guideline about the no recess. If you talk to any teacher, especially an elementary school teacher, rainy days, the worst days of our life, because the kids need to get their energy out and Halloween. 
when the kids are all sugared up. I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. No recess is the most, I, I can't even wrap my head But around. also no cafeteria, Veronica. That's I mean, not true. being in the cafeteria, like that's also crazy too. Like, I, I think yeah, I because I, I am in a classroom setting right now that the kids are going eight hours a day. There are creative solutions to that. And that's when they really need to start reaching out to us, the artists, because of the ways that how I am getting time for kids to be active, getting time for kids to actually, like we do a lot of freeze dance or we do a lot of theater games and things like that because it gets them on their feet and moving, but they're still able to do it within that six by uh, six foot square that they have. Uh, So there is a solution. I thought you meant creative solutions like whiskey or Oxycontin. (laughs) Here you go, kitties. Okay. That's two. Let's move on to just one question. Um, It's time for just one question here on TMI Daily. I'm going to pick some of the topics from the top of the show and ask you one question about that topic. After getting seriously criticized for comments she made about trans individuals, J.K. Rowling wrote an open letter condemning cancel culture. My question is, is there a middle ground when it comes to cancel culture? Meaning, are there some things that have every reason to get canceled while others shouldn't be? Short answer is no. No. I think, no, I think there is a middle ground. I think if you're being a a piece of shit racist to someone or, you know, saying and putting out harmful things about people, a person or a group of people or something like those lines, I think that's worth, if not shutting the person down entirely, at least calling them out and be like, why are you saying that? Why do you think that? And the problem with a middle ground, Elizabeth, is who decides what that middle ground is? Well, I, you know, I want to actually. What's you, acceptable? You, what's not? But you said something a while ago that I've been thinking about. Okay. Since you mentioned it, and no, no, it was something to do about how la- like changing language and who, you know, and you were saying you didn't like the changes that were being made. But the thing is, like one group has dominated how, language and how we address things for so long, which is predominantly the left, which is predominantly no. I'm talking rich white dudes, basically, which is also the left. Which is not always. There's there's left and right on on rich white dudes. There's rich white Republicans and there's rich white Democrats. It's not only the liberals who are asking to make changes to language and how things are done. Like the the point is though that only one group has really dominated language of like how we talk and discuss things no for way. so long. I completely disagree. I disagree with you. So yeah. there we no, go. <laughs> I, th- I think poor people have, have dominated the way we talk about things in language. I think like in what way inner cities, a lot of language of what we use right now slang is, and things like that. Yeah. I'm not talking about slang Music, and casual culture. That's what drives. That's so what you're talking about. People. Shakespeare. That's cool. Yeah, but oh, that's totally. adopted by people who Shakespeare. are a- affluent to make themselves relatable to yeah. people who not have money. That is how affluent people go ahead and make themselves relatable to people. Yeah, they appropriate and then it punish for sure. the, And then popular. punish the poorer people for using that same language that they've co-opted as something cool and fun. Same thing with hairstyles. Are you trying fashion. to say I, I'm for punishing poor people? No, you, I'm Where's not, your point? I'm, first of all, I'm not putting words in your mouth, so calm okay. down. Please. <laughs> uh, no, the point is that the language is changing because people of different groups are speaking out. Women are speaking out trans women, mm-hmm. trans men, right. LBGTQ people, they're getting right. more of a say in how they want to be addressed or how right. we say things. And I think that's a good thing. I, I'm i not for like shutting everybody down and canceling everything. Like that's not what I'm asking for, but I think asking people to think about it, the way they use language and how they use it is an important thing to do. First of all, I think it's important to be kind first. Like try try to be kind to who you're talking with because otherwise they're going to shut down. That's just the first thing. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Right? But second of all is to your exact point, and this is the point I was making before what you brought up. I didn't say I didn't like what's happening. I said it's very dangerous. There's certain mm-hmm. things I do and don't like, but mm-hmm. the changing of the language is extremely dangerous. And here's the thing with what you're saying. It's a dangerous thing for every, every situation though. That's, that's I think context, what it is to say. So what, what you're saying is culture is changing. Language mm-hmm. changes. Mm-hmm. I get that. Of course it does, which is why it's very important to allow all of it and not cancel anybody for any of it because what is offensive now 
as far as language goes, will be mainstream 10 years from now. When people talked about gay marriage or sodomy or pride parades or God knows what was extremely offensive 50 years ago. So let's say 50 years ago, like play, stay with me in this hypothetical world. We were having this podcast, like this podcast existed 50 years ago or in the 1950s. And uh, people, somebody on the panel was like, yeah, we should take a stand and say, okay, certain things are acceptable, certain not. And let's just put a demarcation point as to what, you know, is okay for canceling to, to us in present day would be horrendous, which is why it's dangerous to put any kind of limit on this stuff at any time. You know, cancel culture though is based, is based entirely on, on the person, like how important is that thing to that person? Because, you know, we do cancel culture all the time, but I can remember a few years back when, and, I, and I'll bring this up again, because I brought this up on the show before, when the working conditions in China at the Apple plant were so bad that the employees were jumping out of the windows to their death. And everyone was like, well, no one was screaming, we should cancel Apple because they were looking down at their nice MacBook or their phone and saying, I don't really want to get rid of this. So maybe there's something else we can do. It's the same thing like Elon Musk is saying all sorts of crazy shit. You can see everyone like, I'm giving up my Tesla because, damn, it's a Tesla. So it all depends on what each person says. Oh, by the way, uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) That's because, Joe, people... People are only, I'm going to change the subject real fast for you. Uh, that's because, Joe, people are only righteous when it's convenient. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Cancel culture only because uh, if it's something that affects me that I don't want to get rid of this, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, wait a minute. Maybe not so fast. It's all more shit. By our friend Bo online. Um, he just wrote, language is also being changed to control and have power over people so we can constantly tell people that they are wrong, offensive, and need to apologize. Control the language, control the people. Thank, thank you for that. That's exactly what I was saying before we hit Apple Podcasts. And you could go back to that podcast and listen. Uh, but exactly. Exactly. Thank you for that comment. So call the camera. By a show of hands, and just we don't have to talk about it, just show me your a show of hands. How many of you think cancel culture has gone too far? I still do. <laughs> I think there's. For the listening audience, for how many both. is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> more than half for sure. <laughs> more than half. Yeah. If you're listening, if you're listening on Apple Podcast, uh, yes. <laughs> more and than our half. friends at Spotify. Yeah. Of course. But, but I, in, in all fairness, though, I don't. How many of us can also clearly and succinctly define exactly what cancel culture is and who specifically is in charge of it? Cancel culture is a group. The of mob. Who are deci- I'm sorry, Jess. I'm still talking. Cancel culture is a group of people who are deciding collectively that certain behavior is not acceptable and that they don't want to spend their money or their time on it anymore. And a lot of people will go too far individually and they will say horrific, horrendous things to the person who's behind it, and that's obviously unacceptable. But honestly, like it's it's the purest version of the free market. It's people who are looking at ideas and deciding what is and is not an okay idea for them like what they want to spend their money on, who is espousing a viewpoint that they agree with and that they want to support. Um, being awful to somebody is one thing. And that's totally, that, that's awful. But the idea of choosing not to like buy more Harry Potter merchandise because JK Rowling has said some stuff that I don't agree with, that's just my choice. I'm perp- I feel very comfortable just not doing that anymore, no matter how much I loved Harry Potter. That's like, oh, still going? Mm-hmm. Just want to make sure I'm not stepping on you. <laughs> you don't have to be rude, dude. Yeah, that's incredibly condescending. I I don't know when we have new rules today. I don't know when I'm supposed to go, when I'm not supposed to go. So I'm when trying I'm to wait for the wall. Like... We're going back to the old rules. This is proof of the have... classroom thing doesn't work. <laughs> I have one I final question <laughs> in this segment. In an interview, Demi Lovato said that she quit the Disney Channel in 2010 after realizing how normalized eating disorders are in the entertainment industry. The question is, as actors, are you led to believe that your weight is, is, is an important factor in getting cast in certain parts? Oh, yeah, God. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. It has to be. <laughs> has no to disagreement be. on this one. There's, okay. With the school. Like, obviously, there, we know. <laughs> <they're>, straight up said it. They straight up said it. He's wearing the shirt. Like, they totally just said it, you know. They definitely told us. Yes. Yeah, 1,000%. Oh, yeah. Yes. They did it in LA and New too. York. Yeah. 
it's it's it has to be a factor. I mean, there's certain I mean, there's certain roles that are a requirement, right? Like if if I'm if the role requires me you know, to play a dude in history who's 300 pounds, and and I want to get the part, like. I'm probably gonna have to put on some weight. I mean, they probably don't expect me to gain 300 pounds, of course, but like I'm gonna have to put on some weight to, you know, accent the makeup and the bodysuit that I'm gonna wear. You know what I mean? I have to put on something to make it look realistic. Or if you're playing a superhero, you're gonna have to look like a superhero. Like I understand that it's that, you know, it seems like an unusual standard. Like, yes, you're holding me to the standard of a comic book, but like that's kind of the fantasy. Like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to like make money. So you do have to get in the gym a little bit and work out. But I also don't think that, I think more, if anything, perpetuates uh, uh, bad uh, 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 eating or bad weight types is probably more of a of fashion than, than like the entertainment issue, issues of like acting and stuff like that. Because that's been the running, the running uh, like magazines and shit like that and fashion and things of that nature, that's perpetuates way more uh, of, of, of dangerous habits than, than acting and stuff like that. Because now more of like more or less, a lot of actresses and stuff like that aren't buying into the old. You got to look like a pole to be on television now. A lot of them are are are, are you know are standard body types of you know one twenty, one thirty, something like that. Like there, if there's all kinds of fluctuations of beauty in in that in that in that regard. So I don't think it's necessary. I think it's really on you. How do you feel as a person? Are you in your healthiest? You know, what I mean, like somebody asking you to lose ten pounds to play a role. You can take offense to that, or you could do it. That's, that's really the choice. But you know, uh, it's it's totally different than somebody saying like, "Hey, to wear this dress, you got to lose like fifty pounds." Like that's completely different because now you're fitting this one person's perspective of what a beauty is, and not in a sense of like, you know, your own your own suggestion. So it's it's I think it's it's much less in the acting business than it is in fashion. Let me ask you this real quick. Um, have any of you ever had an experience with a casting agent um, that had to do with your body type, whether it's, you know, you didn't get cast for a certain role or they criticized you for your body type? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, totally. There was a, there was one where I uh, did a, uh, it was an audition for a feature and they actually, they asked me like, cause at that, like, I, I know I'm a bit, I want to say chubby, midweight, whatever. I'm not, I'm not what you call fat, but I'm not exactly the skinniest guy either. And they actually want me to put on more weight because the character was a much more comedic character. And I think we all know that where size kind of matters when it comes to stereotypical and like archetypes and stock characters. But now the times are kind of changing. So now it's not as important anymore. Like you could be a funny and flamboyant person without being, you know, like a fucking huge ass opera singer or whatever like that. So it's changing. But yeah, I'm sure every one of us has had that moment where, okay, you could tell like, I'm not exactly the most fit or uh, I'm not exactly the most prettiest for this certain role, but it's a change and I'm being optimistic about it. Okay. Oh, oh, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a comedy writer, so I'm finishing the Snickers bar. Um, <laughs> listen, the thing we need to talk about is, is you know, I, I think that Hollywood has come a long way since 2010 and I think you, you see a lot more realistic bodies. There's still a problem, but you do see more realistic bodies than before. I think what you need to talk about is Instagram where everybody's photoshopping stuff and making mm -hmm. themselves so unrealistic and 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 teens and kids and even adults that are trying to get to this completely unrealistic version of themselves and I think that that's the dangerous part of what's going on right now I mean you can digitally manipulate anything to make it look I mean you can make me look like Brad Pitt with enough digital shit going on I mean that's that's the truth um no it is the truth actually so uh, at least at least a young handsome jk simmons but still the point i think is that what we well, that's something we need to address is that you're talking about digitally manipulating stuff to look to to a, a a look that is absolutely impossible to ever get to and to see people that try to get to it and that's something that's dangerous no i don't know what you're talking about you're way better looking than jk simmons so i'm gonna put that out there right now <laughs> okay. yeah, i'm not I've never had my body commented on, but I have had people comment on my face, which like, that's always fun. <laughs> You're not pretty enough. Your nose is too ethnic. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> I love how Hollywood's like the only place where getting hired for a job, it's encouraged to break like 
like basically be sexist or racist or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, you're not black or you are black or you're fat, you're skinny. It's crazy. <laughs> what can we do about all of yeah. this? <laughs> so on July 8th, 1947, RAAF public information officer Walter Hott issued a press release stating that the personnel from the field's 509th operations group had recovered a flying disc, which had crashed on a ranch near Roswell, New Mexico. The rest is history. We all have heard the stories about Area 51 and the rumors of the US government housing a spaceship there. So in honor of the 73rd anniversary of this event, I was wondering, who thinks the government has a spaceship locked up somewhere? If you don't think they do, do you believe that creatures from other planets have visited Earth? Chris, let's start with you. Listen, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if the government has these things. You know, we'll never know because unless you work in the government and you're like, you got crazy clearance. Like I have a level one clearance, but that does nothing near what you could be when you get to the White House. So, you know, you'll never know. But here's the thing. We also have parts of the earth that we still don't know what creatures are. We're discovering new creatures all the fucking time. I mean, we still haven't even gotten to the bottom of the ocean and seen all the shit that's down there. So is it possible that some shit is out there that we haven't seen yet? Absolutely. Because we haven't even restored the shit that we, that's on this earth. And we've only reached a certain point in in outer space that our, you know, our, our, our droids and all these other things can go and satellites can get images from stuff like that. And we're still discovering new shit about space. So you know, the possibility Dude. is very much out there. And, and just for anybody to say that that's not possible, is just ridiculous. Now, as far as the government, you know, keeping that secret away from us, we'll never fucking know. And it's possible. But, you know, nobody can say yes, yay or nay, I think, on that. Tell them about the bats. Case in point, tell them about the bats. Bats. We do have we do have human sized bats in the Philippines <laughs> yeah. that get up to five feet and six inches tall. No, I'm good. I'm leaving this planet. I'm out of here. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You get a real life Batman? Yeah, you know, I just saw Phantom of the Bats. Guys, so if nice. you have Bat, that's fucking Duarte. Can't do it. Can't do it. Jocelyn just a bit up, and I love it. Yes, it's, it's insane. Google that shit. It's as tall as a human. Yeah. There's actually a picture with a guy who's like five foot six standing next to it, and the thing is like taller than him. It's gnarly. Uh, it smells like burnt hair when you barbecue it. Here's the thing. There's a documentary cool. about uh all this called independence day where they there was a spaceship <laughs> and <laughs> documentary Daryl Coleman for president guys when they when he put that radio broadcast out there and then all of a sudden they had to change it out I mean I really do think that something that something came down. I mean it, it could have been something we made it could have been something another country made it could have been something from another planet. But I will say this Look at when you start reverse technology, some of that stuff. Look at how after that point, and we start getting into the 50s, how everything just took off. So I, I, I kind of believe that I think there was something there and they had to cover it up because otherwise, why would the guy even put it on the radio? Like, it just seems so kind of silly. It was a great fucking There are, there are other, other creatures on other planets. We are not the only one. Uh, the way that life works is uh, uh, is is pretty amazing, and we all know that we've we found microbes and all that other plants. So yes, sir, can they make it here? Probably not. Not you know, most of them probably can't. Just like we can't go to them. But yes, they're out there. We are not alone, people. It, not alone. it definitely wasn't aliens. I'm of two minds about this. Just like with the moon landing, like people who say the moon landing is. <laughs> Emma just looked at me like I am the most insane person on the planet. Um, Talk about that. Kubrick and everything. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. But yeah, there's some people that believe that. So my dad always says that there's people who believe about the moon landing being faked. And my dad is always like, if that were true, which like, you know, fine, we'll put that in the realm of possibility. That would mean a lot of people would have to keep a very big secret and people aren't really capable of that. So I don't know if we like, I don't know what it is, but I think all of our collective imaginations are way more interesting than whatever is happening at Area 51. Jeffrey Epstein couldn't keep a secret. You can keep, <laughs> listen, you can keep a secret big enough if you kill the right people. Because if enough people <laughs> come in, they That's can't- That's what I'm saying. Them. 
They can't keep say a motherfucking thing. If BFC was about to talk, but he's keeping secrets now, ain't he? <laughs> Military. Chris Mack, everybody. He says, before Trump, I would say maybe there was a secret spaceship on a base. But knowing how Trump is, I now doubt it. I now doubt it. He would have blurted it out at some point in the last three and a half years. No, no, they were smart enough not to tell him. They did not tell him. No, they could have wrote it down. He never would have read it. So <laughs> the Pentagon did release some declassified video like in the last couple of years. I've, there's a New York Times headline on it. And then also, I think, too, I, I Googled this while we were talking. Uh, two Navy airmen say they saw something, and that was in 2017. So the truth is out there. Uh, Jess, final I was just going to say, Joe, I, I, I disagree with you. I don't think it was actually aliens. It was probably people from the future who came back to give us a, a warning. About and the they were way too arrogant about, about the U.S. military's like archaic anti-aircraft weaponry, and they got shot down and killed. No, they didn't come back as a warning. They just came to tell Marty, it's about his kids, Marty. It's about your kids. <laughs> okay, so with that being said, oh, one more comment, sorry. Um, he would have said that he talked to the aliens we have in captivity, and they say he is the most fantastic leader in the universe. <laughs> so with that being yes. said, that is our show for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us tomorrow as TMI Daily goes international with our very special guest, actress Christina Lilly. She's an American actress who has found success in the telenovela world, both in Mexico and Latin America. She's very excited to join us. I'm very excited to have her on the show. So she will be joining us from Colombia tomorrow. So make sure to tune in at 6 p.m. That's right. You better watch, Pera. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Have a good night. Stay safe. And don't forget to subscribe to TMI Daily on Apple Podcasts. Bye.